0: We are back in the vineyards, back in parables, back in these stories that can sound so strange to our ears. Our gospel reading today takes place after Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem with the sound of hosannas. He turned over the tables in the temple and the fig tree has withered and died. And now he is teaching and preaching to these large crowds in the temple, the largest crowds of the entire year, as many pilgrims and others have gathered. Jesus is gathering more and more interest from the pilgrims there for Passover to the temple authorities. And that is becoming problematic. But in the spirit of parables, I want to challenge you all to enter a parable of our own making this morning. As Reverend Liz mentioned a few weeks ago, parables are from the Greek word meaning alongside, like parallel, and to throw, like a ball. I sort of think of it like a bocce ball game, where you throw your balls into the mix and they bounce off each other, and the landscape of the game changes. So to one side, we have this parable that we just heard in the gospel reading. But at least for the moment, let's set that aside, because I want to tell you the second story that we're going to throw alongside it. This second story is the story of St. Francis, the feast that we're celebrating today. I'm sure many of you have heard stories and have images of St. Francis, but let me offer this story for us to use today. Francis was born in the city-state of Assisi, in what we now call Italy. His mother was a religious woman and his father was a wealthy silk trader, a merchant. Francis grew up in a privileged way with beautiful clothing and fine horses. He was invited to all the best parties and he loved carrying on with his friends into the wee hours of the morning, singing and dancing he and his friends dreamt of the day that they could ride off into battle as knights to gain glory and honor for themselves, their families, and the city-state of Assisi. When Assisi did go to war against the neighboring city, Francis and his friends were overjoyed. At last, this was their time to show the world how brave and courageous they were. Francis did fight heroically, but eventually was captured and thrown into prison. In prison, he saw knights of nobility dying alongside their poor slaves, and he began to wonder where the glory was that he had been promised. Eventually, his father paid a ransom for his return, and Francis was able to come home. But once home, Francis became seriously ill, and he began to have images that he thought Jesus was calling him to go fight in the Crusades, to fight for the church this time. So Francis went off again to fight in the Crusades, and again, war was not what Francis had expected. He soon fell ill again and had to be brought home and nursed back to health. Eventually, Francis tried a third time to venture out into the world, and this time he heard God talking to him, calling him to come and repair my church. Francis interpreted this as a way that he needed to give away all of his money and some of his father's, which caused some problems, to the church, and Francis swore a life of abject poverty. He spent the rest of his life owning nothing, so that possessions never got in his way of becoming close to God. He saw God in all parts of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of the creatures, vegetation. And many people attempted to follow Francis's modeling, but failed, as abject poverty is a very difficult way to live. But the order of the Franciscans still thrives today throughout the world. This story of Francis is one side of our parable. Now, for the other side, we have this gospel reading from Matthew. But first, before we dive into this reading, I want to be clear about what parables are not. Parables are not allegories. In other words, you don't just plug in one person for another or match code names. This parable has been particularly problematic with this code substitution mentality. I know I was taught that you substitute people in for the parables. God for the landowner, Israelites, Pharisees, chief priests for the tenants. The Old Testament prophets are the slaves, and then of course the son is Jesus. And so where do we as the Christians go? We are the innocent bystanders that have witnessed this crime and are now the all-knowing believers. The substitution problem is problematic. Using this allegoric lens can result in anti-Semitic views. And this has been the case for centuries. For example, if we retell the story using those Code names. it sounds something like this. The Hebrew people, the tenants, were given the vineyard, the Garden of Eden, at the time of creation, and their job was to tend it and take care of it. And when God, the landowner, sent his son to collect the rent, he was killed. Summarizing the story, the Hebrew people killed Jesus. That is problematic, to say in the least. So for today, I want to challenge you to clear your mind of this kind of teaching, of this kind of translation, of these sort of code names that you might have been taught. Let's start with a clean slate when we look at this parable today. So what do we have? We have a story of workers in a vineyard that now are being called to give the harvest to the land owner. where do you see yourself in this parable today perhaps as one of the tenants or the farmers you've been given the opportunity to work on this land and you're reaping a generous harvest you have a family to support how can you enjoy some of the fruits of your own labor how can you hold on to your own work to create some sort of legacy once you're gone Perhaps today you're one of the slaves or the messengers that are being called to speak some kind of truth and retrieve property from one group to another. Or maybe today you feel you're the landowner trying to do the best for the tenants who have been working but also needing that harvest so there's a profit for next year's new plantings. So let's look at our two stories now side by side, throwing them together and seeing where they might bounce off of each other or perhaps crack each other open or maybe just roll peacefully side by side. When I began to throw these stories together this week, nothing opened for me at first, which is sometimes the case with parables. In fact, I have to admit, It took me a lot of throwing them together, rather forcibly sometimes, but finally, they started to crack open just a bit for me, and I want to share with you something that came to me. It has to do with the crowd in the gospel. I find it interesting that the crowd is quick to condemn the tenants, but that Jesus had a different interpretation. Jesus speaks of the stone that the builders rejected that had become the cornerstone. And he states that it is amazing in their eyes. Jesus speaks of resurrection, of redemption, or using a different lens to view the world. Of seeing things with different priorities or different perspectives. The stone that the builders would not even use because it was flawed in some way. God has used to build great things upon. And perhaps this is where the balls crack each other open in our parables. Francis failed, at least in the expectations of the elite society that he lived in. But God saw Francis' story differently. God called Francis to speak truth and love in a new way, a way that people had never heard before, and generations of good work were built on his actions. God creates amazing things, things that our human minds cannot even imagine or comprehend. Where we see failure or limitations, God makes abundance and love. Where we see rejection, God creates resurrection. When we feel the story has come to an end, God is just beginning the story. And when we cannot see a new way in front of us, God sends a light or a new direction to travel. Again and again and again. Amen.